Welcome to the Sober by Design podcast, where we explore the many pathways to recovery and a better life through conversations with a wide array of guests. Whether you're sober curious, in recovery, or simply looking to improve your mental health and well-being, this podcast will have something for you. Each week, we sit down with inspiring guests from all walks of life who share their personal stories of struggle and triumph, offering valuable insights and practical advice on how to design a life worth living. From addiction and mental health to spirituality and creativity, we cover a wide range of topics that are relevant to anyone seeking to live a more fulfilling and authentic life. So join us on this journey of discovery, growth, and transformation, and start designing a new life. Um, okay, everybody, welcome to the Sober by Design podcast. Today we have Anda. Anna Hindell, um, she is a licensed psychotherapist in New York City, also a um, yoga teacher, and we're excited to talk a little bit about her world. Um, welcome, Anna. Thanks for having me, Corey. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. So today, you know, if you could start out, and we like to start out all these episodes just by going through, you know, kind of where you grew up, how you grew up, and, and kind of what put you on this path of, you know, getting into uh, the role of a therapist, a yoga teacher. I mean, it is a you know, a special kind of person that goes down that path. So if you could just give us a little bit of background, that'd be great. Sure, sure. Um, I am a born and raised New Yorker. Grew up on 73rd in West End where my parents still live. And I have, I guess I could say I've tried to leave the city a bunch of times, but there's kind of a love-hate relationship here with the, the busyness and the chaos and the charm and one thing led to another. I'm still here. Um, and, you know, I guess I could say mental health is a little bit of the family business. My mom's a psychiatrist. My brother's also a psychologist. And for better or worse, it was how my family dealt with problems. And I was a squeaky wheel of a teenager and acting out and doing it in a really bad way. I was getting caught doing everything and cheating, stealing, sneaking out, this and that. And it was go to therapy. And I met, I, I switched, if, if I was going to go, I didn't like this one. I found another one. I found another one. And I think that in my, when I was about 20, 21 after college, I landed with a gestalt therapist and she was a real role model for me and I was really lost and in the, okay, I've gone to school now for 21 years and that really doesn't translate to living your life in the world and paying bills and getting an apartment and so um, I was really seeking for direction and what to do with my life. And she was a really pivotal person. Now I simultaneously was a gymnast growing up and always very athletic and started doing some yoga during college. And what was so interesting to me about this practice was that it's just that it's a practice. There's no practicing to do a routine that you get judged on like gymnastics or figure skating or winning a team. It, it's just, you get on the mat and you deal with yourself 
and you breathe and you get into these difficult positions that are hard to stay in and instructed to breathe and soften. And I found that practice really engaging and such that, you know, that led me on a path to becoming a yoga teacher. And it's like every single time I get on the mat, it's that experience of Mm -hmm. like dealing with myself and dealing with what resistance my body may have or where my mind is, whether I don't feel like doing something, but I know it's good for me. And I think we all have that experience of um, the space between knowing what to do and doing it. So many of those, those, those were some of the, the directives and ways that I ended up where I am. Um, in terms of the sober by design uh, part of my life, I can't say I'm in recovery from a substance, but as a gymnast growing up, it was very hard when my body started to change. And um, I started dabbling with some eating disorders and I really work with a lot of people with eating disorders, spectrum stuff like binge eating disorder or some restriction, but not diagnostic anorexia. And I really look at eating disorders like addiction Mm -hmm. and think of them as addiction because it really is a way of um, avoiding your feelings and then doing something else. You know, let me, I'm having this really difficult feeling or thought and I'm going to do this other thing that's just going to take me away from it for the short term, which is going to, as a result, give me another problem to deal with. And, um, done a lot of work in that area and I'm in a great place now but you know that that's one one area of recovery that I think is kind of lifelong because we have to deal with food yeah and it's not something we can just do abstinence with um I feel grateful I get to work with people now with those struggles um I also struggled with some depression as a teen and in some ways, you know, it's not quite the recovery model, but I think of these things as ways in which I have to check myself in my life on a, you know, daily basis. Like, am I doing the things that support myself? Um, how am I feeling? What do I need to do to move in the right direction? And that's a constant way of living of being in touch with my body and my mind. So that really lends itself to, you know, not only just teaching yoga and doing gestalt therapy, but having this whole way in which I'm staying in touch with my body and trying to help other people get more in touch with their experience in their body so they live a more grounded and fuller life. Yeah. I, um, you know, we had somebody on, I had somebody on early on in, you know, starting this podcast and she was, uh, she's in recovery from food addiction, Nancy Adair. Um, and we talked a lot about that and, you know, and she's also in recovery from alcohol and, you know, um, the alcohol I think was e- a much easier, uh, 
issue for her to solve. You know, the, the food thing's been a lifelong challenge. Again, as you mentioned, it's something that you have to, you know, we all have to eat, right? And and it's sort of one of those, I say that like food and the love addiction and, you know, there's certain addictions that are really hard because they're things that you need, you know, inherently as a person. Um, where alcohol, you don't need it, right? Drugs, you don't need them. So, you know, those ones that we kind of need become the real tricky ones, but you're using those things to modulate some feeling inside, right? So, you know, you're using food or you're using love in a wrong way to modulate some feeling, that's when it becomes the issue. And, you know, Nancy had a really good take on that. And um, if you wanted to go back and listen to that one, you might might find it interesting. couple things. One, I love New York City. Um, I went there a lot as a kid. My dad was a, a Bronx uh, child. He grew up in the Bronx. Uh, my grandfather had an apartment in the village and then up in Washington Heights. So I spent a lot of time in the city uh, growing up and continued through college. And, you know, it is a challenging place. I can imagine that that kind of led to some of that teen you know, uh, rebellion that you were feeling. Like, it seems like an easy place to be a rebellious teen. Is that is that true or you know it's interesting because i grew up here and just like anywhere you find all types you know it's like out of my friend group i was the squeaky wheel but then there's the people that you know never take the train always take cabs let's you know the rule the rule breakers and then the one people that you know stay in the fine lines so Mm. um it's it's really just like any other place it's just absolutely not like any other place but you find all, all types of people i should say yeah yeah i guess it is the same thing but right? the access you're right i mean the access is right there it's like you know um there was the movie panic and needle park in the 70s it's like oh i could walk one block and i'm in a little park area and or you know hey can you buy a spear it's like the access is just so much greater here And I guess that lends itself to being really hard for people in recovery because um, I do work with a lot of people with alcohol addiction and everywhere you look in the city, I mean, people are drinking, there's bars, there's just, it's just, I know this is like culture in general, but particularly yeah new york's hard i mean you go down any block there's a bodega you can buy beer there right there's multiple bars it's yeah it's a lot i mean it was it was interesting because i actually went to a gala event last night for a an organization i really care about and i walked up to the bar and was just chatting with someone and she said oh what are you drinking and I took a pause there because I didn't feel like drinking. I was just going to get a seltzer. Mm-hmm. And I, I let her order first. And I thought about so many assumptions in that one statement. She didn't want anything from me. She didn't need me to drink. She probably didn't care if I mm-hmm. you know. But it was just even in that we're in this, we're in this club together at the bar, even though I just knew you. And I, I could have had a very radical different story yeah and that could have been a big trigger for me you know yeah listen i get it all the time at work events i was at a gala a couple weeks ago you know they had the you know the high-end bourbon bar and 
all the people I was with were drinking and, you know, every time they went up, you sure you don't want anything? You sure you don't, you know, and a handful of them know that I don't drink and, and others don't, but uh, you know, it's not that I'm afraid to tell them. I just, it's never come up. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, but it is prevalent and people just kind of assume that you're going to drink rather than not drink when you're at an event like that. Um, I think there's very few social or very few cues that you could give off, um, sort of short of being like, you know, really pregnant, I guess would be the only one where people would be like, Oh, right. <laughs> you know, like, right. And, and if you're really pregnant, it's okay to have that glass of wine. Yeah. Yes, right. Yeah. To some. So it's like a weird, it's a weird mix. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You can, I think you can have a glass but of wine I, when you're I, really pregnant. <laughs> right. Well, that's what I did. Yeah. Um, I am so glad you brought up the like love addiction though as well yeah. after I brought up the food because you know I do have a couple people I'm thinking of that I work with who have that and go to the 12 steps yep. and it's very interesting to watch one of these people date because it's like or you know, internet date even because it can you can be she she can go on this date and just touch some excitement yeah. And then it's like that rush, that dopamine rush that she experiences and calls it. It's like a drug-like thing. And then, you know, to, to get carried away and not trust herself. And so that's a lot of our work of, like, yeah. how to reground, how to feel your body, how to feel the, the excitement and, and the life that can kind of rush through your body. But to not, to keep your, one, at least one foot on the ground as to not get carried away. Yeah, I'm not fully versed in like the food, uh, you know, recovery uh, groups or the love. I I know a little bit about the love and sex addiction part of them, but you know, the rules are so different, right? For like a NA or an AA, it's very clear. Mm-hmm. It's you know, don't yeah, use the substance. Yeah, right, right. But, you know, I think in the love and sex, you kind of set up individualized rules based on your habits, and then you can't break them, and it just is a very tricky thing. And I'm I'm pretty sure food is the same way, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, whatever, however you're misusing it, you have to then set up guardrails and say, well, this mm-hmm. is what I'm going to do, right? Like, I'm not going to have ice cream at, you know, 11 or binge eat or, you know, I don't even know, yeah. but yeah. I can't imagine the difficult nature of that. Like, cause you're still difficult. in it. Like, it, it's like a weird thing, you know, for me specifically, it would yeah. be very challenging. It's, it's difficult but it's similar. Yeah. It's very similar. It's a lot of, you know, all of the things that you need for your sobriety, a lot of planning, a lot of backup planning mm-hmm. for when the plan doesn't go well and the backup plan doesn't go well. And you just, and then doing the best you can and a lot of compassion and forgiveness. Yeah. I'm imagining that a lot of those people do the tool like, well, you know, I'll offer it up to people I coach um, sometimes of like playing the tape forward. Right. So, it's like, you know, if I take a drink now, here's what happens next. And then what happens next? And then what happens a week from now? And then, you know, if you can just play that tape real quick and kind of see the future of, you know, whatever you're going to do, it is a huge tool to use. And I'm guessing that that's a big kind of tool to use in that world. Um, Yeah. What I like to do as well, one of the main things with people is to really zone in on that moment of before you want to use before you did use like what 
what is your feeling? What is your experience? Can you get back in your body and notice was that a craving or was that anxiety or a tightness in your chest? And what can we explore that mm -hmm. with some curiosity without judgment and just see what's happening because it will probably happen again and again. Yeah. Right. And it's probably something you want to avoid and not feel. Yeah, that's, that's good. Um, so you practice a specific type of therapy. Uh, you said Gestalt. Is it Gestalt? It's called Gestalt okay. Psychotherapy, yeah. Um, so you got into that when you were in your early 20s, like through you going, and then that mm -hmm. became something that you really uh, yeah, felt so something then like. I went, yeah. yeah, there's a New York Institute. There's two of them, and I went to one. It's a four-year uh, psychotherapy institute training that I did okay. to kind of learn this approach, which is really based on presence, awareness, uh, the body as the house of the emotion. So it's like if we get our body is always giving us this feedback and information. And if we can get more in tune and more in touch with that, it's the body that informs the mind, though, most of us are walking around just connected with our thoughts. Um, big emphasis on the relational piece in the session, meaning uh, I might say, you know, Corey, what, what is that like to say to me? That was a really intimate statement. Mm -hmm. And then we might talk about what comes up in the, in, in the relationship. Uh, so it's sort of this idea that your history is important, but you bring all your history to this present moment. And then together we can explore and therapy can be this uh, a space to explore what happens for you, how you deal with things, the decisions you make or avoid. Hmm. Kind of like a little laboratory to understand yourself so that you can then take that outside of the therapy room. It sounds, my wife is reading a book, uh, The Body Keeps Score. Is that, oh, is that, of course. Yeah, yeah I've, I've studied with Bessel van der Kolk. I've done some workshops with him. It's similar. It's, I can't say, oh, it's similar, but it's in the realm of all, where all of the studies and theory and the world of psychotherapy is really going right now because um, that's really the world of trauma. And this book is about how we hold trauma in our bodies. Right. And whether we decide I'm over it, it happened five years ago or last year or whatever it is, whether you decide or not, I'm moving on. Our body is the one that, you know, has the memory, the cellular memory, um, where a lot of those symptoms of PTSD and trauma come from that hypervigilance, that fight or flight. Uh, experience even when there's no danger in mm -hmm. sight. Um, so it is about kind of going in there and these things like trauma-informed yoga and somatic experiencing. It, it's almost like having their heyday right now to, I, to I, include the body. Yeah. I, I like it. You know, I um, you just mentioned hypervigilance. I became super hyper, well, super hypervigilant. I don't know if that's even a thing, but um, I became hypervigilant. <laughs> about five years ago after my mom passed um 
you know, she took her life. And at that moment, I realized, you know, it was one of those moments of like, you never think something like that's going to happen in your life. And then it does. And then it's kind of like, well, if that can happen, anything can happen. Right. It's kind of, you know, it's like, so everything became this, like, you know, if, if the, the fire got a little too smoky in the fireplace, I assume that the house was going to burn down. Like it, it was this jump to the next worst thing happening. And, um, you know, so I get that completely of how the body and, you know, all this is kind of wrapped up. And so we've been working on a lot of that. So that's interesting that that's your specific practice. Um, so I like that. Yeah, yeah, that's part of it. And, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I just try to beat the person where they're at, you know, they come in and, uh, you know, sometimes I'll get like a, a data guy, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, all right, what do I need to focus on my body? It's like, all right, we'll go slowly. Yeah. We'll just, we'll just sort of introduce how this may be useful it, to pay it, attention to. I guess it takes a while, right? Like, again, a lot of people, that's a very big uh, idea to think about but you know you can feel it I had a massage and somebody told me like trauma is stored in like your hips and I was like oh that's nonsense and I never had anybody like really massage my hip and then that happened and I was like wow that really hurts you know like there's probably something there um, so you also added yoga at some point to your uh, your world and I'm guessing the two really do kind of go hand in hand um, so what I guess, again, you were a gymnast and that you wanted to stay physical and you found something there. How do you blend those two yeah. worlds? Like, is it blended yeah. or do you keep them separate? It, it's got to be hard. It's a great question and it's something that I continue to chew on all the time. I really respect Michelle Psychotherapy and Iyengar Yoga as two different disciplines, but they have so much overlap and they're so connected. And the fact is, as a licensed clinician, I have a little bit of free reign to do what I want to do when I'm with a person in therapy and I have this office and I might have someone who's really depressed uh, do some chest opening or lie down on the floor over some blankets or bolsters to open up their chest and feel what that's like and then notice how that may change their experience and maybe give them an uplifted effect or um, do some elongated exhales for someone who's really anxious where it's really hard to take long breaths and their breaths are really shallow. So there's these subtle ways in which I can start to introduce and plant these seeds without even saying like, okay, now we're going to do this yoga thing and now we're going to do this trend, you know, <laughs> but just... Um, I really notice a lot of what is happening in someone's body when they're with me. So say you're talking, I might go, oh, you know, Corey, I notice how your chest just moved back and your shoulders rolled forward. Do you first notice that? <laughs> so awareness is number one, right? Can you feel what's happening in your body? Not just, not just change shape and fix it or you know I'm doing air quotes fixing mm -hmm. like as if we need fixing but um to to notice and to have for you to have an experience of like oh this is what I do 
when I talk about uh, this disappointment that happened last week. And, oh, that's interesting that I feel better when I take my arms out to the side. And, um, you know, I do these body scans with people. They're really basic. It can take like a minute. And I have a couple on my website. And they're just different ways of eyes open or closed, connecting with your physical self from your feet to the crown of the head to just start to feel what's happening, you know? And if it's like, oh God, I feel really anxious. What's that about? Is there something to do about that? Or is that just a feeling to breathe into and give some space to? Yeah, that's good. And then it, I'm guessing it translates the other way too, right? If you're just doing a yoga class, do you pick up on things in that area? Like, does the therapy go that direction? Or is it just a one-way well, street that, you know? You know, when I'm doing yoga, the thing with yoga that I noticed or, you know, found in my years of, of, of doing both of this work is that yoga has a different relational experience, whether you're doing a private lesson or a class. You know, relational is in, in therapy, I'm either with one person or a couple. Uh, you know, yoga, you're there on your mat, either with yourself or you're following a teacher, and there's a relational piece there, but you're really dealing with yourself. Mm-hmm. And you got to work it out one way or another. And if you can notice what you do, kind of like, okay, my calf is really tight. And if you spend the whole time going, I don't want to do this pose. I can't wait to do this. The teacher's really annoying that we're doing this. I'm angry at the teacher. You know, that's what it's just going to make it harder. Like, okay. And so can I breathe into this? Can I feel this? Can I stay with this? And, you know, it's like, can I deal with myself? And can I then take this? And can I start to build the confidence that I can do more? And challenge myself more or go a little bit further or stay a little bit longer, even though it doesn't feel so good. Yeah. Yeah, I, but, I understand but you, that. <laughs> yeah, right. But you know that it's like a really safe place to play and explore. Yeah, yeah. Um, going to shift a little bit, um, you know, obviously, uh, and you know, over the past couple of years, we've had some challenges um, and our area, our metro area really got kind of turned upside down during COVID. And I know like the whole world did. And um, a lot of people kind of their mental health kind of crumbled. And I think overall the trends would tell us that, you know, I, I think it was what, like 20, uh, 2007, um, you know, with the rise of cell phones, like mental health is really kind of gotten progressively worse and then maybe covid was like just some more accelerant on that um have you seen like a sharp increase in like uh people coming to look for your services or has it kind of been study for a long time i'm you know i'm assuming it's gotten worse but maybe i'm wrong i think so i think there's there's covid there's particularly covid in new york there's i think that there's been a sharp increase in people seeking mental health services. And 
the conversation around mental health and the importance of it mm-hmm. and children too you know i think kids of all ages um have suffered through covid whether that's i'm five and i had to do kindergarten remotely to i spent my junior year of high school online Mm -hmm. um i think you know teenagers and you know every variation whether you're a single person living alone during covid that was very haunting for many whether you're a couple, that could be very painful for some people because the fighting got out of control. So I think that, um, you know, I have some feelings about the kind of online better health and talk space. Yeah. I think that it's kind of watering down the integrity of what therapy can be, but at the same time, I'm glad that there's more of a conversation in a more open space that people can just move forward and reach out for help. Yeah. That's really important. Yeah, I, I can 100%, you know, relate to the watered down version of something um, because I've, you know, I've been in therapy. I started in person and there's something that happens in the room that I think that is very important. Um, I don't think it would have worked for me at the start if I had just started online. Like, there would be something missing, right? It's an intimate relationship between myself and my therapist. And, you know, luckily, though, I had developed some, you know, uh, a a good relationship with my therapist. So going right into COVID, we just kind of kept going without a problem, right? Like, there was no, it wasn't a big deal for me at that point. I can't imagine going into that relationship, though you know, in, in this, in this kind of virtual world. Um, and then, you know, the kid thing I think is pretty uh, spot on. I see a lot of kids struggling. I have an 11 year old and a 17 year old, both I think had challenges through COVID. Um, and I think their challenges are exacerbated even more so by, uh, social media, constant access to information, constant communication, you know, I don't want you to say like, hey, I think it's bad or good. But what are your general feelings around that? Because I think it's, you know, it obviously has benefits. But for me, I see more detriment than than anything. Mm. It's really hard. I I'm I'm with you. I have a five and a 10 year old. I have two boys. And at this point in my life, I'm just, you know, hand to face there in front of the screen their videos way too much and i think that this is also the result of covid it was like the screen is the best babysitter and what we need what what us parents needed for a moment to breathe so i mean as a result it's interesting i just did a podcast with this 17 year old girl who was doing uh, a story about social media Hmm. and body image and i think that things can go either way Right. It can be there can be the liberation story of body positivity, body liberation. And if you search for that, you will find it. But that is not the path of least resistance. The path of least resistance is going to be finding the junk, most likely, and finding the things that they want to sell to kids and finding probably the lighter skinned 
smaller bodies as the action heroes and the winning winner of the story. And I think it can be dangerous in that there's a lot of subtle messages without paying attention that start to become more of like the norm, the given. And then I also just see, um, glaze and the irritation when it's time to stop watching and that I can't say a neurobi I'd have to talk to a neurobiologist of what happens in the brain but you know I think we have it too as adults if you spend the whole day staring at the computer it's like kind of there's a cranky feeling I get it it's like I don't it just I see a lot of moodiness with my kids when it's time to transition off. And that causes a lot of fights because, you know, in some ways it can be like a drug for them because it's so easy. Mm -hmm. I have my older kid has ADHD and expressive language can be really hard for him. That's part of his learning disability. And the tablet is like, it just pacifies him. And I really see it as... And it could be an addiction. I'm not going there yet with it, but it's really like um, an instant way to feel better and to kind of go away from whatever is bothering you. And I hear that from people all the time with um, particularly with social media. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, which, yeah, that's a bad, you know, social media is a tricky one, right? Cause you ingest it in small bites, right? Like I think sitting down with a tablet and watching Netflix is different than, sitting down Absolutely. a tablet and a, a YouTube yeah. short, right? Like they're two different things. So depending on what your child's doing, it, it's a completely different, you know, dopamine hit, I'm sure. For yeah. Him. And I will say that my kid has, you know, there's a lot of joining with some of these social media games, not, or, or just video games. Mm-hmm. Like my kid will be in touch with some friends that he hasn't seen in six months because they both play Roblox or mm-hmm. some kind of game that I'm like, Oh, that's cool. You're actually doing something social. Yeah. You know, that's the good, right? There's that's the, good. the good of it. That's the good of it. That's yeah. what I mean. It's a tricky one. Like I love social media for the things it opens up around, you know, uh, you know, mental health or, you know, uh, recovery or any of these items. Right. But then it's just as easy, like you said, it, it's the junk that comes through the, the screen that you kind of get caught up in. You know, it is the, you know, the, I'm sure a lot of young people get uh, image bombarded, like, you know, a guy with huge muscles and, you know, it's not the norm, but it's what they see as the norm, right? Like percentage wise, right. they're, they're looking right. at this very small percent and they're like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to look at. But that's not the reality of it. Like most people don't have time to go to the gym and build that physique. You know, they're going to the gym and being healthy, but they're not, you know, going to be chiseled. <laughs> it's like, it's not right. real. And then they... And then it becomes, you know, something they say in the 12 steps is compare despair, right? So then it's like starting at that young age, you're already getting these messages of like, oh, that's the norm. Mm -hmm. Well, look at me. How do, how, how, what's wrong with me? And then that whole narrative can begin. Yeah. Goods, vacations, anything, right? I think it's, 
It's a very weird world right now, and I can see how children, uh, teenagers specifically, are going to struggle through it. And I can, like I said, I can see it. You know, there's examples where I'm I'm looking at kids, um, you know, locally here, and you can just see they're a little bit different than they used to be, um, pre, even just pre-COVID. But you know, the more I think about it, I think it has a lot to do with, you know, the the popularization of the iPhone. And then, you know, mm. social media landing on their laps or YouTube or, you know, Snapchat, whatever it is, whatever their thing is, I think it, it has an effect. It has to. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a, it, it takes over for the personal interaction, which is a way to avoid intimacy and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Not that we have intimacy and vulnerability with each interaction, and teenagers are clearly not doing that in their day-to-day, but there is an intimacy in just being interactive with other people and sharing and being in that space that if you're, you can avoid all of that with you know staring at your phone and... Mm. Um, creativity as well as lost right like exactly i saw i was watching a news story yesterday in the morning and they had um somebody was auctioning off a bunch of freddie freddie mercury's items and so they had like his jacket his crown but then they also had the lyrics from bohemian rhapsody and it was like a 15 page handwritten document that was written on some airline scrap paper or something like that right and and somebody noted like that wouldn't happen today because he wouldn't be bored enough to like write in the airport like that. And it kind of made me think like, yeah, I wonder what we're missing. Like, I wonder if there's the kids out there that have a lot that is like bottled up in them, but they're just like washing away that creative time, you know, that imagination time where your brain used to get bored and then you would think about things and put it together. I just wonder how much we're losing in that world sometimes. Right, right. It's, I guess, you know, we'll find out with the, with where we're going. We'll see. And have to keep, I think that it's true. It's like you have to keep reminding yourself to be curious and creative these days, right? Because you can just escape to your phone and avoid the whole thing or get busy. But, you know, we probably could do that anyway, even before the phone, right? You could. I mean, TV. But, you know, that required you to, like, be in the living room. And, you know, obviously there's been changes in that, too, right? It Mm -hmm. used to be very, Mm -hmm. you know, you had to be in front of the TV at a certain time to see your show. And then you were able to record it. And now you have, you know, on demand. So I think it's all kind of tilted towards just, like, zone out, you know? Yeah, right. Which is really what we do when we reach for substances or reach for... Yeah. a way to avoid, you yeah. know, in a chronic way. Yeah. So, you know, I know that we have a tight, a little tight schedule today, but I wanted to just um, also, because I like to get some information on people kind of thinking about, you know, and this is an awful transition because it's like, hey, what do you do to zone out? But I really like <laughs> media. I like music, books, you know, film. Um, are there any things that you are you know, listening to, reading, watching right now that you feel are worth sharing? Yeah. Okay. Well, I just finished watching Poker Face through Netflix, which was great. Natasha Leone, she has this um, 
really great ability to see when people are bullshitting. Okay. And then she'll like blurt it out. And then she, uh, each, each episode, she's sort of in the middle of a murder scene or in between people, you know, gets all mixed up. So there's that. Um, I'm listening. My favorite podcasts I'm listening to right now are if books could kill maintenance phase and what you're wrong about. And they're all kind of debunking, uh, maintenance phases, debunking, health and wellness and diet myths and what you're wrong about. They pick different topics and it's like, oh, you thought Tanya Harding was this way. Well, actually, this is the story. Or you thought that uh, uh, you know, the crash in the Andes, they had an episode about the Peruvian um, rugby team that the movie Alive was based on. And so, um, you know, things that are really fun to learn, that's the kind of thing I like. Um, I have recently gotten into, I can't say I'm birding because that's a whole thing. I have downloaded the Merlin Bird app, which allows me to locate birds through their sounds. And I am finding that whether I'm sitting in a park or walking by a, you know, parks in New York, like Madison Square Park, it's like four square, not even like like two square blocks. Yeah. Um, so it's all relative. But like when I hear birds, I take out this app. And what's so cool is like I may hear sirens as well. I may hear a fire truck and people screaming. Or, but then I hear these birds now. And it's kind of an interesting sense organ to open up to hear more and hear more of the pleasing things. There's a lot of birds in New York. There's a lot of birds. Yeah, you don't think about it. But there's like, like, you know, falcons, all sorts of birds, right? It's crazy. Yeah, and, you know, you plant a tree and birds come. Yeah. That's great. uh, yeah. That's great. Um, I uh, I love that. I love Poker Face. So um, right now, what am I listening to and watching? I started a show, and it's definitely not for everybody, but it's good, and it's quick. It's The Sinner. Um, I think it was mm-hmm. a USA show, and it's now on Netflix. It's like four seasons. Bill Pullman is the main character oh, throughout. Nice. And then every okay. season, there's like another big star. So season one was Jessica Biel and... I don't really know the other big stars in the other season, but they're supposedly quite famous. Um, but it's a little bit dark. Um, it's a little bit weird, but I, I really enjoy it. So, um, you, you know, people could look at that podcast. I'm going to go back to a crime podcast. Someone knows something, which is a, like a CBC. I'm going to write that yeah. one down. That sounds good. <clears throat> so it's a CBC podcast, um, Canadian broadcasting. And I just like the, the guy that hosts it is really good, uh, David Ridgens. He has a great uh, voice about him. The production quality is good, and the stories are interesting. So, well worth a listen. Um, and this weekend, we went to a concert up in upstate New York, and i got to remember the opening act's name because they were really good. Um, Richie Mitch and the Coal Miners. 
um, kind of like a folk rock band. Uh, they're from Bozeman, Montana, and they were very excited to be playing in front of a big crowd. Um, you know, they obviously just coming up and they were great. They were great. Um, everybody, I went with my wife, my kids, <clears throat> my older son's girlfriend, and everybody liked them. So it was, it was a really good, good band. Um, so that sounds really fun. Yeah. That sounds really fun. Yeah. So those are my things right now, I think. Um, but you know, listen, I, I use music and all these things as ways to cope. So I'll jump in the car mm -hmm. and listen to a podcast if I'm having a rough time. Like, <clears throat> that's one of my tools. Like, you know, like, okay, I'm going to take a drive, listen to a podcast. And that gives me some, you know, alone time. And it's, it's a, you know, a tool that I use. So hopefully somebody listens to these podcasts at some point. But I'm going to listen to Maintenance Phase because I... I think it is so fun. Yeah. It's like, and I find that... Um, the two, the two hosts are very chatty and really smart. Yeah. And so. Well, there's a lot yeah. of like, you know, for lack of a better term, like hucksters out there right now, right? Like selling all sorts of weird health things, right? If, if my. Oh, that's the endless. So, that's the business. Yeah. That's just the diet culture. I know, I but mean, it's been, the, and it's been that way forever, snake right? Snake oil yeah. forever. It'll just go on forever. I know. There's always an answer. And as long as there's an answer, there's going to be more business. It's so dangerous. It's so dangerous. It sure is. Hey. It is, which is why. It's always important to remember there's no answer. It's just what works for you. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, and uh, anything that you want to promote, I'm going to tag you on the on the cover art, and everything will be in the show notes along with your website. Um, you know, if there's anything that you want to just throw out there right now, um, go well, for it. Well, I mean, if anyone's listening, you have any questions for me or thoughts, I would love to hear, you know, hear from you my website's www.annahindel.com and it's in the show notes and yeah awesome love to have it great 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 well thank you so much anna this was great really interesting to hear about your specific type of therapy and i think um you know i'm sure some people will reach out well i hope they do <laughs> so all right Corey. We'll, we'll, it's great to be here great thank you. and uh we'll see everybody back here next week thanks so much